Amen. Thank you, Leslie. The scripture we just read is the gospel according to Exodus. That's the text, this framework, this speech by God. The reminder of the fulfillment of God's covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That God will give them a land, that God would be with them, and that he had heard their cry for help. Exodus is the continuation of the story of God's redemption plan since the beginning of creation. And again, to quote Sandra Richter, this was God's purpose. The people of God in the place of God, dwelling in the presence of God. Let's say it together. The people of God in the place of God, dwelling in the presence of God. This was God's plan since the beginning. This is the gospel story. But here in Exodus, here in captivity in Egypt, this calling of redemption and salvation is in trouble. But in this story of redemption, we see the power of God to overcome any obstacle. So let's go back to the story of Moses. Last week we saw how God called to Moses while he was in exile in a foreign land. God spoke to Moses through the burning bush. And God called him to go back to Egypt and to free his people from slavery to Pharaoh. Now Moses isn't too excited about this calling. If you remember, we talked about that. He doesn't think he's qualified to do this work. He isn't eloquent in speech. And what if the people don't believe him? And so on and so on and so on. I understand that about Moses. I remember when God called me to ministry. I was an accounting major. We didn't speak at all to people. We just did numbers. That's all we did. And I saw, why are you calling me God? But God constantly reminded Moses, I will be with you. So Moses goes back to Egypt and he asked Pharaoh to let his people go into the wilderness in order that they could worship and to make sacrifice and celebrate God. Now, Pharaoh will have nothing to do with this. You know this story. And in fact, it says, the text says that Pharaoh made the Israelites' slavery even more miserable. And so Moses is discouraged. And the people complain to Moses that he has caused them even more harm than good. Have you been there before? You're trying to help out and you cause more harm than good. This is how the people are reacting to Moses. And then we read the following words. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. Indeed, by a mighty hand, he will let them go. By a mighty hand, he will drive them out of his land. God is about to display his mighty power. God is about to move. And so God reiterates the terms of the covenant. That was the scripture that we just read. This kind of encapsulation, this gospel message of the covenant that God made. So we're going to reread this covenant. It starts out with this. I am the Lord. Let's stop right there. Whatever follows, we are reminded. God is God. He's in charge. He says, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, or El Shaddai. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them. 
How many times have we said the Bible is awash with covenant language? We have to understand this idea. I made my covenant with them to give them land of the land of Canaan, the land in which they resided as aliens. I have also heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are holding as slaves. And I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will free you. I will free you from the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. I like that phrase. With an outstretched arm, I will redeem you. And with mighty acts of judgment and I will take you as my people and I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession I am the Lord. It starts out with, I am the Lord. It ends with, I am the Lord. Everything in between is just gravy. He is the Lord. I, I love this. This is such a power, powerful scripture. It gets me fired up when I read it. As I said before, this is the gospel according to Exodus. So Moses speaks these same words to the people to get them fired up and excited about what is to come, that God is about to move. And, and, and how do the people respond? But they will not, would not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and their cruel slavery. Oh, Lord, have mercy. This is often how the world responds. There are so many people out in the world who have broken spirits. Some of us have been there. They have had all they can take. They don't see any hope. They don't think anything will ever change. And this can get us discouraged. But I hope it doesn't. It's often at these times. See, this is where we have to be persistent because it is at these times that God breaks through and transforms. When people are at the end of their rope, when we feel absolutely helpless, when we don't see any way forward, it is at this time that we are often able to, maybe for the first time, receive. It's at this time that we recognize our need for God. So if you speak to the world and they feel helpless and they don't listen, it's okay. Keep at it. But God is about to move. It is at those times where God can often move, where people often hear for the first time. He is about to show the Israelites. He is about to show Pharaoh. He is about to show Egypt and the whole world who he is. This is the purpose of these plagues that are about to come. And we hear this repeated over and over again in this section. The purpose for this, these plagues we see repeated over and over. Let me just give you an example. In chapter 7, verse 5, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Chapter 7, 17, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Chapter 8, verse 10, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord. Chapter 8, verse 18, this is the magician's of Pharaoh speaking, this is the finger of God at work. Chapter 8, verse 22, that you may know that I am the Lord in this land. Chapter 9, verse 4, but the Lord will make a distinction so that nothing shall die of all the belongings to the Israelites. Chapter 9, verse 14, so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. 
chapter 9, verse 15 through 17. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But this is why I have let you live, to show you my power and to make my name resound through all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. So what is the purpose of these plagues? So that the world may know who God is. This wasn't just some arbitrary thing that God was doing. There was a purpose in it. And if the Egyptians would have relented, God would have relented. Because it says you are still, you are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. God moves in a mighty way. And he says this, I have hardened Pharaoh's heart and the heart of his officials in order that I may show these signs of mine among them and that you may tell your children and grandchildren so that you may know that I am the Lord. This is the purpose. God moves in a mighty way in order that the people will know that he is the Lord. This exodus will have cosmic implications. Not just here. It's not just so that Israel will know who God is. But it is that Egypt will know who God is. And in effect, the whole world will know who God is. God's actions, these plagues that are about to come upon Pharaoh and Egypt, are for the sake of the whole world. Later on, when the people go into the promised land, all these other nations, they, they, they say, we heard about what happened. God's judgment on Egypt. His judgment is justified because of the evil and the oppression that they have imposed on the Israelites and on others living in Egypt. The Israelites are not the only ones in slavery. There are other peoples in slavery as well. And God, hear this, God will not be indifferent to evil. God will not be indifferent to evil. Pharaoh had set himself up as God and he demanded total obedience. He killed newborn babies. He oppressed people because of his fear of losing power. His cruelty was such that the people had completely broken spirits. He was evil incarnate and evil must be dealt with. If God is indifferent to evil, then creation will revert back to chaos. If God is indifferent to evil, then the good world that God created will revert back to a pre-creation state of chaos. It's not just the future of Israel that is at stake. But here in this passage, it is all of creation that is at stake. God's plan of redemption is creation-wide. Egypt and its power are about killing and enslaving. God is about blessing and freedom. And God wants the whole world to know. God wants the whole world to witness this judgment because they might be next if they're not careful. That other nation might be next if they're not careful. If they act like Pharaoh, if they act in a way contrary to God's good creation, then God's judgment might come to them next. God wants the whole world to know who he is and he will use his judgment 
to get it done if people continue to be evil and cruel. His holiness will confront and destroy evil. And God wants to establish his holiness with his people. This is the purpose for these plagues. So God brings about ten plagues on Egypt. And we're going to look at the first nine this morning. Next week we'll look at the tenth plague, the Passover. So here are these ten plagues. The first one is this, water turn to blood. The water in the Nile River, the, it's a fascinating idea. The, the, the Nile was about life. The Nile gave the people of Egypt life. It helped water their land. But the Nile was also death for the Hebrews when the Pharaoh would drown their baby boys in the Nile River. And now God is bringing about death in the Nile as well. In effect, telling them, because of your ways of death, you will also receive death. So he turns the water to blood. That's the first plague. The second is this, frogs. As Kim said, frogs throughout the land, everywhere. In the houses, and your food, everywhere. And then the third is gnats. Oh, that sounds horrible. I can't stand gnats and flies. So we have gnats followed by flies, which just sounds miserable. And then the fifth plague. The fifth plague is when livestock actually die. But here's the thing, God... There's a distinction between Israel and Egypt. These plagues affect Egypt and the Egyptians, and they do not affect the Israelites where they are. It's like there's an invisible wall between them. The sixth plague, boils that break out on all of the people and on the livestock as well. The seventh plague, hail. It talks about a hailstorm that is so bad, it destroys people. It kills livestock and animals. The eighth, locusts, and the ninth, darkness. These are pretty bad plagues. And I believe these plagues are set against the backdrop of Pharaoh's anti-creation activities. Pharaoh had brought about chaos to creation, and these plagues are about to bring chaos on Pharaoh. They are disastrous And they should leave us gasping. These are horrid. They should strike terror in our hearts. In order for us to realize the disaster that awaits evil. And the judgment that awaits those who oppress God and his created order. Again, these plagues are ultimately for the sake of the entire world. For all creation. Pharaoh is threatening life and the covenant of God's blessings on the entire world. So Pharaoh must be stopped. Pharaoh has been sabotaging God's creational work. It must be stopped. But Pharaoh Pharaoh will not listen to God. Pharaoh hardens his heart. And the text says God hardens Pharaoh's heart as well. Now many of us, we, we get troubled by this thought that God actually hardened Pharaoh's heart. So we're going to take just a moment and look at this a little closer. As we look at these plagues, we also see even in these plagues, there's grace. You might be asking, how is there grace in these plagues? The first one, two, three, four are an annoyance. They don't cause death. There are signs and warnings, right? It's only with the fifth plague do we get death. We had four plagues before to warn the people. 
people and warn Pharaoh, this is getting worse. This is going to get bad. Repent. Turn to me. And he wouldn't repent. And if we read the text closely, we will see that on the first five plagues, it says that Pharaoh hardens his own heart or that his heart grows hard. In the first five, it is only with the sixth plague in the second five that God begins to harden Pharaoh's heart. And we see the grace of God at work here. Pharaoh has five different chances to repent and recognize God's holiness. Even Pharaoh's magicians and his advisors think Pharaoh is going off the deep end. The first two plagues, Pharaoh's magicians, the, the water and the frogs, they can actually recreate. So Pharaoh's not impressed. But starting with the gnats, do you know what the magicians tell Pharaoh? This is the finger of God. Starting with the third plague, all of his advisors say, this is God at work. This is not some magic show. This is God. In fact, in, in the later plagues, especially the hail, many of the Egyptians begin to see that God is God and Pharaoh is not, and they begin to listen to the Israelites and not to Pharaoh. Because these things don't happen in a vacuum where all the other Egyptians just wake up and say, what's going on? They know what is about to happen in many of these plagues. And with the hail, they tell the people, you better bring your livestock inside, you better bring all your family and your household inside, because if you do not, they will be killed. And many of the Egyptians did just that because they'd seen what had come before. But many did not. Many still wouldn't heed the warning. And many Egyptians lost their livestock and their families and their slaves because they didn't bring them in. The advisors began to beg Pharaoh to listen to Moses. Here's where we see that Pharaoh, because he had hardened his heart so much, he gets to a point of no return. His evil is so great that he will not be swayed. And this is where God steps in and he will use Pharaoh's evil for his own purposes. We've talked about, especially when we talked about Joseph in the Genesis series, how God can turn evil on its head. This is one of those instances. God knew Pharaoh wouldn't relent. So he hardens his heart even more in order that God's will and purposes will be fulfilled. I pray that we never harden our hearts like Pharaoh. We see that creation in these plagues, we see that creation is under God's control. He uses it to deliver his own people. And with the plagues, we see how it is used to destroy his enemies. And with these plagues, we can also see that there is no doubt about who wins the battle. Because only God could use creation to destroy and to save. These are weapons that we do not have. The plagues destroyed life, but there is also grace. After each plague, the plague is removed and creation can again be restored. Again, the purpose is so that the whole world would know who God is and that he is a God that wants to restore creation to its proper order that God rules creation, that he has control over all the elements of the world. He is a God that redeems and destroys evil. We will see this again in our Bible, won't we? 
this is a, the precursor. This is the shadow of the final gospel, isn't it? We will see this again in Jesus, right? We see Jesus has command over creation, that he walks on water, that he calms the storm, that he provides a miraculous feast to feed the 5,000 and the 4,000, that he commands the fig tree to wither and it is withered. He restores life. He brings healing. In Jesus, we see the God of the Old Testament commanded the cre- commanding the created order for the purpose of blessing the world, Right? The Israelites were blessed to be a blessing. Jesus was blessed to be a blessing. And the Apostle Paul wrote about this in, the, in his letter to the Romans. We read this in Romans 8, 15 through 24. I would encourage you to go back and reread this text in Romans. But it says this, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery like the Israelites to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. It says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation, creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies, for in hope we were saved. For in hope we were saved. The plagues remind us of who God is a God who desires redemption and salvation, a God who will right all wrongs. And who deals with evil head on. And there's a last thing that the plagues should do for us. They should remind us again that he is the Lord. And that we should worship him him in reverence and awe. Those plagues, they're terrible and destructive. But it reminds us of the power of God and his holiness. That God is a holy God and he desires for us to be holy as well. Let us pray.